It uh, might be nice and sweet, um, but it's really naive and ignorant and ridiculous that Christians all over the world set aside this time and on a, a good Friday night come together to remember who it is that we remember. But he continues, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us, the cross is the power of God. It's the cure. It's the cure for this cancer that plagues humanity in our sin. In our rebelliousness, in our murders, in our lies, in our stealing, adultery, the, the sins that we commit both with our hands and with our hearts and minds. Foolishness. That a man who called himself God, who's then executed by the government as a criminal, and we look at that act as salvation. person of Jesus Christ, if he existed, was either not fully God in sinless perfection or human in sinless perfection, or he was not fully God. And either there is no sin to be cured of, or we haven't been cured. In our time together tonight, I would like to address those two beliefs in two parts. The first, looking at the humanity of Jesus. So if you would learn, turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Jesus is in a garden. He has just left a meal with his 12 closest disciples, one of them, which he knows is gone to betray him. Jesus has been surrounded by crowds, and so the religious opponents who want to destroy him have not been able to get their hands on Jesus, and so Judas has arranged a moment, a moment in this garden where Jesus is now going, or now is. And Jesus, right now, he is, in this moment, he is waiting for the next step of this redemptive plan to come to him. He's waiting, and while he's waiting, he's praying. And he asks his, his disciples to pray with him, to watch and wait with him that they fall asleep. And here's what Jesus prays. Verse 41, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. What is Jesus praying for? In, in Jesus' mind's eye, there's a table set before him. And on this table, there's a cup. The Bible outside of the Gospels talks about this cup some ten times. In Jeremiah, three times, which he indicates that there's this metaphorical cup that he's asked to take to the nations and have all the nations of the earth drink because of their wickedness. It's a cup of wrath that preempts a sword of judgment. Habakkuk says that the one who drinks it will be disgraced, stripped naked, and utterly shamed in their death. Psalm 75 says, 
the wicked must drink this cup down to its dregs. It's called the cup of the wine of the wrath of God. And it's for the wicked, the sinners, for you and for me, and yet it's put there in front of Jesus to drink. What is in the cup? Our sin. Paul says that he who knew no sin became sin. That Jesus became an adulterer. He became a murderer. He became a liar and a thief. He became the child pornographer. He became the gossip and the slanderer. He became sin. What is in the cup is our sin. Every human being, past, present, future, who has ever drawn a breath, their sin. Your sin, my sin. And not just the acts that we've committed with our hands through acts of omission or commission, but the acts that we've wanted to do and the acts we thought about doing. We are not just fallen in the flesh. We're also fallen in mind and in spirit and need to be redeemed. What's in the cup of the wrath, of, of the wine of, of the wrath of God, is all of our sin, every one of us. And so when Jesus sees the cup in front of him, he shirks back. He staggers. And he prays. Father, if it would be your will, take this away from me. He's not sinning. And he's not being cowardly. If we understood what was really in that cup, he staggered. And no wonder why. But why is that in the text? Why include that? You've got to wonder, as, as Luke is putting pen to paper and he's writing about the accounts of Jesus' life and he gets to this point, does he ever say to himself, maybe I shouldn't include this? Maybe this part I should leave out? Obviously he doesn't. He wrote it as the Spirit of God led him to write it. And the question is, do you think less of Jesus for what you see in the garden? Do you think less of him or do you think more? Because there in the garden we see the humanity of God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. Throughout history, people have said that this person of Jesus Christ, if he existed, wasn't human. More so towards the beginning. He was not human. As Jesus dies and ascends, uh, rises and, and ascends, and in the, the days following that, as Christianity began to spread, people uh, began to embrace this, but the notion of this one that they're embracing as being fully human seems difficult for people to grasp. Uh, even in the, the first century, uh, something called docetism appears. It literally means the appearance of and people who had to this view about Jesus believed that he merely appeared to be human. 
He was not, in fact, really human, not in physical form. He only appeared to be human to people's eyes when they saw him. However, if that's the case, if he did not have a, a physical body, then he could not die for sin, nor rise for our eternal life. Others came along called the Polinarianists, and they began to teach that um, Jesus did have a human body, but he didn't have a human mind or a human spirit. Just a human body, but basically uh, a human robot controlled by God. The problem with that is that, as I just said, not only do our bodies need to be redeemed, but our hearts and minds need to be redeemed. And if Jesus didn't have a human heart and a human mind, then this could not be a substitute for us. Jesus was, in fact, fully human. Body, mind, and spirit. Uh, we see this in Scripture through a variety of ways. First, he was born of a woman. Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. You need to understand that Jesus was not created in heaven and then sent to earth to do what he did. Rather, he was born of a woman, genetically tied to the rest of humanity through DNA that goes all the way back to Adam. Born of a woman and of the Holy Spirit, but he was born just as we are born. He grew just as we grow. From, from a, a, a tiny baby in his mother's womb to a 33-year-old man, he grew. And not just physically, but also in mind, as we'll talk about in a second. He was fully human, and you notice that because he got tired, and he got hungry, and he got thirsty, and he became physically weak, and he was mortal. As we'll see in a moment. He was still human. Additionally, when he was resurrected, he was still human. Still fully human. Though his body was perfected in the resurrection, he appears to his disciples and he says to them, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus was fully human. And he continues to exist fully human now. But not was he fully human physically, also in mind. We see this, Luke 2.40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Not only did his body physically grow, but his mind physically grew or learned through processes. And yet it was limited in knowledge. Mark 13.32, Jesus in speaking about the second coming says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Physical body, human mind, human spirit. Human spirit. Um, we see that in his emotions. When he says things like, my soul is troubled. Or my soul is sorrowful even to death. He has the ability to marvel at the centurion's faith. He was sorrowful when he lost his friend Lazarus. He cried in Hebrews. And in the same place, he was tempted. He was tempted. Now, some will say Jesus could not have been fully human if he never sinned, because to sin is to be human. However, that forgets the fact that in the beginning, God did not create Adam and Eve in sin. He created them perfectly righteous, moral beings who then turned in rebellion. See, 
because of that rebellion, everyone who followed after them is born in sin. Jesus is not. That makes him the only human being ever to actually live the life fully human as God intended. He was sinless. He was fully human, body, mind, spirit, but in sinless perfection. He says this of himself when people confront him. He asks the Pharisees, which one of you convicts me of sin? And they're not able to. That's why Jesus could say, I'm the light of the world, meaning I'm not just the fullness of truth, I'm also the fullness of purity and righteousness. That's why he says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That means the Father. That's why he said, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And it wasn't just self-revelatory. It wasn't just his testimony about himself. His opponents said it about him. They could find no guilt in him. And they ultimately have to condemn him to death based on lies. They never proved that he was guilty of committing blasphemy. As we talked about, Rome didn't care about that anyway. It was based on lies. Even his opponents could find no guilt in him. Pontius Pilate could say, I find no guilt in him. And, and I think what's, what, what's more convincing is the reality that there's these, these men that follow Jesus around for three years. Every day and night, they're spending with this guy, and not one of them found any sin in him. In fact, they continued to follow them to their own martyrdom and death and wrote about him. He is without blemish. He is righteous. In him, there is no sin. And those who followed after them, Paul and the author of Hebrews, he knew no sin. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are yet without sin, fully human, in sinless perfection. They had a hard time grasping that. The reason why is because they lived in a supernatural world and for some reason they thought anything physical was evil. So they rejected it. But in response to those who claimed that Jesus was not human, John wrote this, By this you know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the lies and the liars. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The person of Jesus Christ was fully human in sinless perfection. I'm going to ask Ray to come up in a moment we're going to sing. But as he comes, I want to talk about why this matters. Why does this matter? If he wasn't fully human in sinless perfection, then he could not be our representative for obedience. In other words, there would be nobody we could point to and say, that's what it looks like to be a human being. We would have nobody who could be our representative for obedience. That's what it looks like to obey the law. That's what it looks like to submit to God. He could not be our standard for life. If he wasn't fully human in sinless perfection, then he could not be our sacrificial substitute. God established a way to remove sin, but it comes by the shedding of blood. It comes by an animal dying. And the reality is, is it never quite covered our debt. And it would have continued over and over and over and over again because it was never enough. 
We needed a substitute that could do it all, who could pay the price past, present, and future for every single human being. We needed a substitutionary sacrifice greater than any we'd ever seen. If Jesus wasn't fully human, he couldn't have been that for us. And lastly, if he wasn't fully human in sinless perfection, then he could not mediate for us before the Father. He could not represent us to God. There would still be a wall. In short, if he wasn't fully human in sinless perfection, then you and I are still sick and dying in our sins. And we're still under the sword of God's wrath. And there's no cure. And there's no hope. But he was. And he is exactly who we need him to be. Holy Jesus. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us, we're being saved. It's the power of God. Well, 2,000 years ago, people readily embraced supernatural. Readily embraced that there was a reality beyond what a person could see, taste, touch, smell, hear. Readily embraced the spiritual. Over the course of time, though, as our knowledge has increased, as we've become so much smarter, science and technology and all of our advancements, uh, human beings have let go of the supernatural and embraced purely the natural. That, that the only thing that matters, literally, is the physical world in which we interact with. The only thing that matters. In 1977, uh, there was a book that was written called The Myth of God Incarnate. The Myth of God Incarnate. And uh, its contributors said that for Christians, it's no longer necessary to hold to the doctrine of the incarnation, that God became flesh. Just as in some sects of the church, it, is, uh, it has let go of things like the virgin birth or like uh, Jesus uh, performing miracles, it is no longer necessary to believe that he was anything more than a human being. Um, no longer necessary to be a Christian and, and believe in the incarnation. Um, before him, Jehovah's Witnesses, they didn't go quite that far, but they said that God was a God, a lesser God, a little God, but not fully divine. Uh, before him, Gandhi. Gandhi said uh, that Jesus was a great teacher. Great teacher, but not God. And in fact, if you listen to, to uh, David Dittenberg's sermon a few weeks ago, he pointed out the fact that in the Gospels, when people are talking to Jesus, if they were a follower of Jesus, they called him master or lord. If they were an enemy, they called him teacher. Good man. Great teacher. Not God. Before them, Nietzsche said, we invented God, not the other way around. The Enlightenment, the scientific revolution showed there is no need to find meaning higher than ourselves, higher than what's in this created or uncreated universe. Before them, monothelitism. Before them, monophysticism. Before them, Nestoranianism. And that was preceded by Arianism. 
all beliefs that in one way or another said Jesus was human, but he wasn't God. He wasn't human and wasn't God. And to that we turn to Scripture. And the biblical response that we have there is two words. Theos and Kairos. Theos is the Greek word for God used over and over of Jesus. From John 1.1, the word was God. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thomas's response when seeing a resurrected Jesus was, my Lord and my God. Titus 2 says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews, quoting Psalm 45, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Second Peter, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Copy. It's him. The exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isaiah 9, fulfilled in Luke 2, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, that the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Over and over again, this word theos is used of God, but another word is used, kairos. It's often translated simply as Lord, but in the following cases where it means Lord, it's talking about Lord in a divine sense. Luke 2.11, referring to Jesus again, Christ the Lord. Uh, Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of my Lord. John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In 1 Corinthians, Paul declares, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and know, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all are all things, and through him we exist. The author of Hebrews identifies Jesus with the Lord of Psalm 102. John in Revelation 19.6 pictures Jesus on a horse with uh, the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his chest and his thigh. We also see the term Son of Man. Son of Son of Man used some 84 times of Jesus, which refers to Daniel 7, which talks about a human that's got something divine going about him that the God of the universe gives him all power and authority to rule the universe. That's Jesus. He was fully God. Fully God. Now, in addition to being called God and Lord, Jesus demonstrated it. Demonstrated through omnipotence. He calmed storms on the seas. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people. He raised the dead. Omnipotence. Um, eternal. One of the things he, he said to, uh, to the, the, his opponents uh, was quoting from Matthew twenty two forty four. 44. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. There's two things that are, that are part of that. One is his eternal nature. But two, he says, I am. That's the term God uses of himself in the Old Testament. Jesus identifies, I am. I am. I'm God. So he affirmed that of himself. But, but it shows that he was eternal in nature. He's omniscient. He knew people's thoughts and motive. Mark 2 and John 1 and John 6 uh, he is sovereign. We see that because he can forgive sins. 
Nobody can forgive sins but God because the offense is against God. But he's sovereign in his forgiveness of sins. He's sovereign in the fact that he casts out demons. Sovereign. He's immortal. John 10, 17, and 18, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In Jesus' death, we'll see his mortality. But we also see he has the power to raise, to rise, to take back life. In that way, immortal. In the resurrection, we see him as omnipresent. Matthew 18.20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, in response to the writers of the myth of God incarnate, you cannot be Christian and believe that God did not take on flesh. Because the preponderance of Scripture says that. And if you're going to cut out all of that language, you're left with nothing. And there is no Christianity. You cannot be Christian and not believe that Jesus was fully human and sinless perfection and fully God. He was fully God. And so when he asked the Father for the cup of his wrath to be taken away, God answered by sending an angel to strengthen him, but not taking the cup away. And Jesus gets up, and he goes. And we pick it up in chapter 23, verse 26. Jesus has been tried three times, condemned, and is on his way to the cross. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Ironically, because he is, he is saving others. <clears throat> there was an inscription, I'm sorry, the soldiers also began to mock him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to notice all of the divine attributes of God displayed from the cross. Do you notice the power of God? Right? The God that calmed the storm, right? 
You see that power on display. Do, do you see a God who is, who is performing all sorts of powerful miracles? Do you see a, an eternal God who's demonstrating that, 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 that you can't stop him? He has no beginning and no end. Is he demonstrating his omniscience? Is he, is he telling people what they're thinking as he's talking to them and negotiating how they're going to get him dead? Do you, do you see him using any of divine power at work? One thing. Sovereignty. He forgives sin. God forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And to the thief on the cross beside him, his sins are forgiven so that he will spend eternity with him. From the cross, the only powerful demonstration of his divinity is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was Torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus died. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. The word innocent there um, is, is from a, a Greek word, dikaios. It, it means literally righteous or holy. Righteous or holy? Like completely innocent. Again, divine. Matthew and Mark record the centurion as saying, surely this man was the son of God. So what is it that he experienced looking up at Jesus and watching him die? What did he experience from him that would make him walk away glorifying God saying, that's God? What did he see in him? He didn't see all the omnipotence and omniscience and, 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 and all of that other powerful attributes of God. He didn't see it. He just saw forgiveness, which we just talked about. Forgiveness, but also something else. See, I, I, I don't wonder if, 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 if Jesus, when he was taken up that hill, that centurion, he had to take time with his fellow soldiers to wrestle the other two to the ground and make them lie down on the cross. While Jesus simply walked over to it and laid down on it like he was getting into bed. With the other two criminals, was, was he, were, they, were they having to strap down their arms to that wooden beam to spread them apart? And was Jesus simply spreading them out like he was about to give someone a hug Willingly. With the other criminals, they had to cry, pry their, their fingers open. And here Jesus is flaying them apart, exposing his palm to drive the nail in. And as he drove the nail in, he didn't look at him with bitterness or hatred or resentment. There was just love. Father, forgive them. He didn't die. Like humans died. Oh, physically, yes. But all the words that came out of him, all the expressions, the glances, all the, all the things that they were accustomed to seeing as centurions executing someone on a cross that didn't come from Jesus. 
So that the end result was this guy, not based on power, but based on his submission to what was happening to him. There must have been something happening to him that was bigger. So he walks away. I'll ask the worship team to come back up. Why does it matter that he was God? Why does that matter? What difference does it make? Well, if he wasn't fully human in sinless perfection and fully God, then he couldn't drink the whole cup of wrath down to its dregs. That cup filled with all the sins of humanity. Past, present, future. Everyone, including yours and mine, that could only be drunk by the divine. Only God could bear the weight of all humanity's sin. Secondly, if he wasn't fully human and sinless perfection and fully God, then salvation would not be from God. It would be from us. And we cannot save ourselves. Third, if he wasn't fully human and sinless perfection and fully God, then he could not represent God to us. Just as, as he's fully human, he represents us to God. As fully divine, he, could, he, he couldn't represent God to us. He couldn't show us who God is and what God is like. We would have no one to base our new identities on. He mediates on our behalf for before God, but also he reveals to us what God is like. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Behold the power of God. And it's not in mighty deeds done, it's in forgiveness and obedience. How do we respond? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How do we respond? Well, two ways. First, to the world that calls us fools. How did Jesus respond to people who nailed him down? How do we respond to the world that would say that what we're gathered here to do tonight and to worship a man who called himself God and yet was executed as a criminal? It would call us fools. What should we say in response? A.W. Tozer writes this on the wisdom of God. The unbelieving mind would not be convinced by any proof, and the worshiping heart needs none. Our concern is not to explain, but to proclaim. How do we proclaim? The first, it's by showing the world what Jesus showed the world. We point towards forgiveness of sin. Now, the world isn't just questioning the truth of Christianity, they also want to know, does it work? Does it work? Are you forgiven? There's no way that you're going to explain the forgiveness of God if you are still living in the guilt of your sin. Show them forgiveness. But being forgiven, and then forgiving like he did. Secondly, what Jesus showed us on the cross is obedience. 
a greater plan at work that he submitted his life to. And that same plan, he points to us and says, follow him. Are we living lives of committed obedience? In other words, could people even tell the difference that we're Christians? That's how I respond. The second response, though, is the immediate one. What do you do now? What do you do tonight? What do you do when you leave from here? What do you do tomorrow until you come back here on Sunday night? For a lot of Christians, we really want to skip over Good Friday. We want to go from claiming Hosanna and, and singing wonderful songs with palms and, 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 and calling him king, and we want to skip over Good Friday and we want to jump right into the open, empty tomb. But we shouldn't do that. There are three responses we see in the text. Verse 47, it says, Now when the centurion saw that he had taken what had taken place, the praise God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Three responses in order to honor why we remember this night. The first is give God glory. Sing to him. Praise him. Give him glory like the centurion did. Secondly, mourn. This phrase, beat their breasts, it points right back to a story that Jesus told earlier about a tax collector who goes into a temple and praying to God, he beats his breasts and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. We have been forgiven of sin, but we can't forget the weight that was lifted and that there was a great penalty paid that. Lastly, watch and wait. Watching and waiting is what Jesus was telling his disciples to do in the garden when they fell asleep. As you leave here, in the hours between now and Easter Sunday morning, will you pray? Will you pray? Will you wait? Will you stay in the moment? I know Easter's coming. I know Sunday's coming. you stay in this moment.